It is a land of tremendous beauty. High, soaring mountains and deep, rich valleys. And it's here, in this land, John prepares the way for light to heal darkness. A young virgin carries a promise toward Bethlehem, where shepherds, scholars, and angels wonder at the bright star born in a humble cave. Now, together, we welcome you into our hearts. Light our lives with the power of hope, peace, joy, and love, undimmed by centuries, and manifest in this one truth. Christ is coming. Well, good morning, Well and Well Cafe. Uh, I'm Pastor Mike Ramsdell, we have not met, and Pastor David and I actually led a tour of Israel, of 65 of our church family uh, here in February, uh, went to a lot of places there, Jerusalem and Bethlehem, uh, the shepherd's field. We walked through a lot of areas. It's about Christmas. So we made a decision this year to share Christmas from that perspective, calling it Christmas in the Holy Land. You'll see some uh, images in the next few weeks, including today, about that. You already have in the opening video today, so please be aware of that. We began today talking about a very unusual character, not kind of a Christmas time character we often think of anyway. And I want to kind of begin by telling you a little story about, uh, about nativities. Now, uh, I don't know if you have nativity sets in your house. You probably do, or you have one available. Uh, but years ago, uh, we decided in a church I was serving at that time to have a living nativity. We were going to have it outside, going to have it by the street where people could see it, shine lights on it. And we had a, a fellow in that church said, you know, I'll, I'll make a, a stable for you. He said, okay, great, we'll have that done. The next Sunday, we're having church, and we hear hammer hammering outside. And, we, and I, I wonder what's going on. I discover he's making a stable during the worship service with really loud noises. And he decides to make a stable like they would back in those days with wooden pegs. And holes drilled into the wood. He was making a stable for the centuries. I mean, really. I'm sure in that church is still working, and that was some 25 years ago. When it came time to actually have the nativity, it was freezing that night. And so we had great difficulty getting there, slipping and sliding to actually make it our way to where we were going to act out the nativity. We are going to have shepherds and wise men, uh, you know, Mary and Joseph and the animals. And I will tell you quickly how it went that, that day besides being freezing. Not many coming by because of the ice on the streets. Uh, my daughter, who was an angel, fell off the roof of the stable. Uh, she lives in Puerto Rico now. Uh, and then our, our cow died. Uh, that was our story of how the nativity been. Now, now when you think about, when you think about the, the characters of the nativity, who comes to mind? Well, Mary, of course. She has to be there. She's the mother of Jesus. We know that. Uh, we know Joseph had to be there. We're sure, pretty sure of that. The Bible talks about shepherds coming, so we're confident. We don't know how many, but we know shepherds came, and wise men or kings from the east arrived there as well. And we typically have three because you don't have room for any more there in the stable. We usually have on our, on our shelf. But nonetheless, we have all that happening there. But there's one character that is never mentioned about in the nativity. And he probably wasn't there that night. Certainly he wasn't because he was a child as well. But he is a key part of the story 
of the birth of Jesus Christ. You can't have Christmas without this character. And his name is John the Baptist. John who was a cousin of Jesus. John the son of Zacharias and Elizabeth. Jesus was his father, Joseph was a carpenter. Uh, John the Baptist's father was a priest and a prophet. His father had had that one time, the one special time he was asked to go into the temple where he could serve in a very special way. Quite an honor, very seldom happened. It was his season, that moment to go in there, and he went. And while there, uh, he, was, uh, uh, he, he ran into the angel Gabriel, the same angel that told Mary she was going to have a son and called him Jesus. So Gabriel is a very important angel that God sent. The same angel went to Zacharias. And Zacharias is told, you're going to have a son. Zacharias doesn't believe this. He's too old. His wife is too old. And so he is made to where he cannot speak. And he cannot speak uh, for nine months. Because nine months later, he has a son. And that son's name is John. And the word John means grace. John the Baptist born a few months before Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Now, John the Baptist, when he is born, then and only then can Zacharias' father speak once again. And the words he speaks are are recorded for us in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 2. We're going to look at some of those words here in a few minutes, but he comes forth with a great prophecy about who John was going to be and what he was going to do. And John, hear me please, is going to point to who Jesus is. The world has expectations of a Messiah. The nation of Israel is waiting for a long time, for hundreds of years, for Messiah to come. They're waiting for Christmas. When's Christmas going to happen? We're waiting a long, long, long time. Uh, And they keep waiting and waiting and waiting. They're waiting for God to send a Messiah, a Christ, the Greek word for Messiah. It's the only difference there. Waiting for that to come. And when he would come, they believe, they're, they're convinced what he's going to do. He is going to save us. In their case, he's going to save us from Roman occupiers. He's going to save us from bad crops, bad weather, disease, all the things that bother. He's going to save us from it all, and we're going to be a great nation again. We'll have a great king like David was, and we will rule instead of be ruled and we'll all be what we hope we all, we'll all would be all along. That's what they're waiting for. And John's going to come along and say, wrong. That's not what the Messiah is going to do. And he's going to tell us here, and I'm going to read those verses in a minute. But first, I want you to see uh, a video where we went uh, that is actually walking through uh, where, where many believe John the Baptist was born. We're going to show that video now if we can. This is a church that you're going to see, and this is the church, St. John Baharim which is the Church of John the Baptist, and they're going in and out. Uh, Not the most popular site, really, in Israel. It's not as popular as some areas in Jerusalem or Bethlehem or Galilee. Because it's only John the Baptist, but we have no Christmas without John the Baptist, so it's a pretty important site. So we went, uh, as many tourists do not, but we made the decision to go there. And there you see, this is what the church looks like. It's put on a site where some think John the Baptist was born. And we arrived there, and there's a, a place where they, where they celebrate. There's a statue of Mary as well in the background. Uh, and we're gonna, in a minute, we're going to see more clearly uh, where uh, people think that's the spot that maybe John the Baptist was born, where Zacharias encountered uh, God in a new way, came forth with a prophecy that we're going to read part of here in a minute. 
And that's the video. And there's the final shot of what people are worshiping there at that site. That's our crew actually there. Some of our church members are there uh, seeing the place where John the Baptist was, was possibly born. Next picture, please. Uh, to have two more pictures. Yeah, this is a picture actually uh, that's outside the church. Uh, and it's all, and there's about, there's, there's more than 20 languages that this prophecy that I'm going to read a little bit from is actually interpreted in those languages. So you see that there, uh, those words of Zacharias the prophet about John pointing the way to what Christmas really is, and we're getting ready for that. So there we are. One, one more picture, I think. And there is the spot itself. And so you, in a, in a very real way, have walked with our church family, 65 people who were there literally, and you've joined us in the pictures that we took where we are and are part of our journey. So, so you can say we are adventuring together with our church family with Christmas in the Holy Land. Okay, so I, I want you to see all those things. Now we can take that off if we, if we can. Now, some of the verses that we have here where we have this, uh, this John pointing the way to Jesus, changing how people think about Christmas and the birth of Christ, the first verse is this, 168, on that wall you just saw, uh, the prophecy that Zacharias gives us there after the birth of John the Baptist. Here's what he says, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people. That is uh, verse 68 talking about what God will do when Christmas happens, when the Messiah, the Christ, will be born. Now remember, I've already said that they had expectations of the Messiah to uh, deliver them from their enemies, to give them a great king, to make them a great nation, to, get to make their life really easy. That's what they were waiting for that, for that to happen. They were in trouble. They knew it. God save us. Well, here's what the prophecy says, God the Christ is going to do. He is going to redeem his people. He is going to atone for his people. He is going to deliver his people. Because God targets the problem, and it's not the Romans. He targets the problem as the human heart that's broken because of sin and death. So instead of trying to cover things in a surface way, he goes right for the core of the human condition and problem. That is the heart that are broken because of sin and death. I'm going to redeem this world from its and he targets that. That that separates us from God, from each other, and even ourselves. So we can't understand Christmas until we really think about what is God doing in this amazing Christmas story with shepherds, wise men, angels, camels, and donkeys, and John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus. What is God doing in this story? Well, the second verse is verse 76 we want to look at. And you, child, meaning John the Baptist, my son, Zacharias is saying, you will be called the prophet of the Most High, Jesus Christ. You will speak for him to begin with. And you will go before him and prepare his ways. So you will get the world ready for Jesus Christ. Now that's, that's going to be 30 years later that's going to happen. That's what you will do. You will help them understand to look for not a Messiah who will deliver them from Romans, but a Savior who will save them from their sins. Uh, that's what he is going to do. And so he began his ministry that way. We're told that John the Baptist uh, roamed to and fro across the Jordan River for a number of months, maybe even years before Christ was actually revealed uh, uh, there at his own baptism. And that's what happens. 
And as he does that, going to and fro, he preaches a very unique gospel. He didn't do what many are doing in that time, saying, God's going to send us a Messiah, deliver us from the Romans. That's what everybody else is preaching. Or, go out there and keep the law or God's going to judge you. That's what everybody else is preaching. So, you know, we have those two kind of preaching out there for them. But John the Baptist says, no, no. He says, repent of your sins for the kingdom of God is at hand. The gospel of repentance is what he shares and offers them in this great ministry. In fact, when Jesus is seen for the first time in a very public way, John the Baptist is baptizing people, preaching the gospel I just told you about. And Jesus, he sees Jesus coming down the Jordan River. And as he comes, uh, heading that way, uh, he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. See, he points, this is what the Messiah has come to do. He's not come to deliver us from Romans. He can, but it's not what he's here to do. He's here to save us from our sins. He will deliver you from, he will set you free from your sins. That's what he's here to do. And then he says to Jesus, I should be baptized by you, not you, me. And Jesus said, baptize me. I want to fulfill all righteousness. And so he's baptized. And then later on, John, John says, as many people begin leaving him and start following Jesus, he says, hey, I must decrease. He must increase. I came to point to him. And so really, if we had a real nativity, we'd have a picture of John pointing to the birth of Christ. That's what I've come to tell you about. The Christ is going to come, and he's going to do this for you if you will accept this. Uh, I had one of my, uh, maybe my favorite pastors through the years, a preacher, a great preacher, I thought. He passed away a few years ago of a very sudden brain aneurysm in his 60s. His name was Bill Henson. Some might know, know Bill from First Church Houston, First Methodist Church. He was there for almost 20 years, retired uh, a number of years before he passed away. Uh, but Bill Henson, at the end of his life, was asked, what would you do different in your ministry? And he had the most successful Methodist ministry of anyone in history up to that point. No one led and served a church that was larger, uh, more successful than his at First Methodist Houston. He had, like in his time there, 3,000 professions of faith in Christ. Uh, he had a huge number of people that joined his church. They built an entire new church that, that had a campus of 40 or 50 acres not far away while still able to keep their church intact in downtown Houston, which is doing great today. I know the pastor who's there now. That's the kind of success that he had. But he said, what would you do different? You'd think, nothing. It was great. No, he said, I should have preached more on deliverance. I wish I'd have preached more that God delivers people from their sin. That's the mistake that I made. And so think about what that means as he hears the Christmas story in this unique way through the eyes, story, the prophecy of Zacharias, and of course through John the Baptist. Verse 17 says this, again, also part of the prophecy you saw there on the wall, uh, or saw the different languages interpreting that on the wall, to give to his people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of sins because of the tender mercy of God. Again, they're saying, save us from the Romans. Others are saying, keep the law or God's going to judge you. Instead, this Christ is going to, as John very clearly says, is going to give you salvation as a gift. He's going to forgive your sins as a gift because God is merciful God. And Christ reveals that to us in the beauty of the story of Christmas. 
as I say so often, why we are drawn to Christmas still. I mean, no matter what, we, we love the story. I think even non-Christians like the story of the birth of Christ. And those who don't believe it love the idea of goodwill and peace on earth. Even those who may not really think it really happened hope that maybe it did, that, that God did send someone in the world to save us from our sins. We're all aware of our situation. The next verse is verse 79. Again, part of the same passage. To shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death. The light shines. And, and we, we love this season where we get a chance to begin each service during the Advent season lighting a candle. Christmas Eve, we're going to light a, about 5,000 candles probably or 6,000 candles. And many people are able to come that weekend. Because our faith is a light shining in darkness. It's one thing to say that light shines in the world we live in. It's another thing to say that light shines right in me. I feel that light burning in my own heart and my own life. The hope that God gives, the mercy God gives me, the grace God gives me. And the name John means grace. The love God gives me, the salvation God gives me, the forgiveness God gives me that makes each day new and blessed and bright and full of possibilities because God does that for us. And so we hear that word there, those who sit, upon, those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death. State of that world and ours is darkness and death. We are too often defined by personal and corporate sin. We are too often defined by the fact that we die and those we love die. One of the most amazing things I think about our trip to uh, Israel, besides going there and seeing all those amazing sights and sharing in that time together, was since we have been, two of those who traveled with us have passed away. Uh, two uh, have already gone on to heaven from that experience here and uh, and, and both died suddenly, unexpectedly. Uh, I shared the services of one. Pastor Dave and I shared the services of another. And that was just a couple weeks ago. That happened, you know. And I, and I think about these words in the light of those, those deaths where we stood and talked about, I stood and talked about life wins because God says it wins. Where we had a light shine in the darkest time we ever experienced, and that's the loss of a loved one. We have a light shine, the darkest time we experience, and that is our own failures or our own addictions, our own mistakes, or our own mess-ups, or just our own sin. And realize there's light that still shines because God makes it shine at Christmas. And so we get ready for it, to celebrate it, to mark it, how special it is. Now, we look at the, this last verse we're going to look at today is actually uh, written uh, or, or communicated uh, uh, 30 years after Zacharias said his words at the birth of his son. These words are more describing John as he's active in his ministry before Jesus is revealed in, a very, in, in, in the way that he's going to be revealed as the Messiah. And it says this about him. And John the Baptist, he, came into all the district around the Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance for forgiveness of sins. So we can think a lot of things about Christmas, what Christ came to do, I've already pointed out the wrong things, the wrong-headed things that his world thought that he was going to do. And so they were disappointed. We want someone to come not to deal with our sin, but to deal with the world we live in. And so many rejected him for that very, very reason. We have to really understand what God has come to do. And so I want to go through several ideas that hopefully uh, summarize uh, this, pro this prophecy and, and, and Luke and also the message today. Here's some thoughts I want to share with you. As we, what, what do we learn as, as Christmas approaches, especially from uh, these words from John, John the Baptist? 
Well, the first thought is, God came to forgive our sins and save our souls. That's why he sent Jesus to us. That's what John the Baptist said. That's the Zacharias prophecy said that he would prepare the way of Christ in that formation. We want God to repair our circumstances. Or that's often how we want. We look at our world and think if I could make my world right and perfect and what I want it to be, everything would be just fine. No, it wouldn't. It would not be just fine. Not until my heart is right. Not until I am right. Not until I accept what God came to do for me initially in the work of Jesus Christ. And that is where he, he simply, you know, forgives our sin and saves my souls. You know, that's a, that's a big deal. And that really is the core of Christmas and what we have to really be prepared for to celebrate it in a true way or we'll simply miss what God's doing in our lives. That's the first thought from this message. Secondly, God comes to teach us a new way of life that is the one he designed us to live. We often want God to make our way of life or bless the way of life we're already living. So think with me about that one. He came to teach us a new way of life. We often want God to bless our old way of life. Make this work, God. I've got it all figured out already. I've got it how I want it to be. I've got, it, I've got my image of what I want to life to be. We have that in play. And God says, no, I'm not interested in that. I mean, I want to give you a new way of life that I designed you to live. And so uh, the religious leaders refused that way of life. They said, we do not want that from you, Jesus. And so they rejected him, and the cross is the result. If they could just simply hear, I want this new way of life, the Beatitudes, blessed are the pure in heart, blessed are the merciful, blessed are the meek. Love your God, love your neighbor with all your heart, soul, and mind. You probably know many of those words that he taught. A new way of life, forgiving, blessing, serving, loving God, living his way. And so that's what he came to do. But we, again, we often miss that new way as we're too attached to the old way. We demand God bless the old way, and God says, that's not why I'm here. That's not Christmas. And John is preparing the way for this by saying, he's come to forgive you of your sins and give you a new way of life. The Pharisees and Sadducees come to John the Baptist to be baptized as well because John the Baptist was very popular. They wanted a stamp of approval on their leadership in Jerusalem, and they came. John the Baptist refused to baptize them. He said, go do some works worthy of repentance and come back because he knew they were not going to change their way of life. They wanted their way of life to be affirmed, and John refused to do that. We must look for a new way of life daily, and that opens the door to the light that shines in our own darkness and brings light and joy to us and those that we live around and among and church and serve in our community. Well, that's the second thought here. God, in this truth of Christmas, speaks to our greatest need. And, and you know, we all have all kind of needs. I know we do. That's part of our life. Uh, I could list my needs at any given time and any day. Uh, I can be consumed by the needs that I have. Uh, but God sent Christ to address the greatest need that we have. That God, his divine wisdom and love for you and me, looks down and says, I know what your greatest need is. You may not know it, but I know it. You need to be forgiven of your sin. I need to do something about the fact that you're going to die. And the resurrection is going to address that. That's why Christ is being sent to you, and that's the work that Christ does in those three years and beyond is still doing today. When I cooperate with what God is doing in my own life and heart and what God wants and wills to do, nothing can stand in the way of that happening. Changes will happen. Life will change. Life will be saved. Joy will come. The future will be formed and shaped in a new way as God does that for you and me. 
hear that word as well. The next word here is this, and uh, in the same line of thinking. When we want God to mess with our situations, God wants to mess with our souls. And I've learned this about us a lot. You know, we, and I'm like that. You know, I can really clearly define the situations I'd like to go better in my life, whether it be in the church or family, the world I live in. That's ongoing, never ends. It's always part of my experiences that is yours. And so I can often miss what God really is wanting to do in my life because it's clouded by all those things. And I don't find time to say, God, I'm happy. I want you to mess with my soul. I want you to work in the place that you need to work in the most clearly and the most willingly uh, and, and the most purposefully because that's why God sent Jesus to do that. And so I have to change how I understand what it is because God wants to not fix the world I live in or fix my life. He wants me to walk with him in life. And he wants to walk with me. It's experiencing God day by day that is what God's purpose is in Christ. Come follow me, I'll make you a fisherman. Pick up your cross and follow me. As I've served, so served others. You know, he wants to walk with us and so I'll be with you always at the end of the age, Jesus said to his disciples, he says to you and me. God wants to walk with us. There's no greater joy than to walk with God, have God walk with us. But we often miss that because we have other things we expect God to do and we're disappointed when he doesn't do those things. Instead of what God is choosing to do, and we miss, we must accept. And the last thought, really, which is much like that one. When we want God to fix our circumstances, God wants to forgive our sins. We say, God, here are my circumstances. We can name them very well, very clearly, very definitely many times. And God, I just want to forgive you. I want to give you mercy. I want to touch your heart. I want to walk with you. I want, I want, I want to be in your, in, I want my spirit to fill you. That's what I want for you. Let me do that for you. Let me bless you in that way. Let me give you those gifts. Let me change your heart in that direction. Let me change your future by that gift. Because when we want God to speak to our present, God is speaking to our future. When God to speak to the present in a certain way, in a very real, visible way, God says, I want to speak to what's happening and going to happen in your life as you begin to walk with me. And that's how life is to be lived. And that goes even beyond this life to life to come. Well, we begin by showing you some video clips, and these video clips uh, were pictures of the, of the promised land, Christmas in the promised land and the holy land. We showed you a picture where there's a round spot with a star on it uh, where John the Baptist, many think he was born. The church was made there several hundred years after the birth of Christ, we know that, uh, sometime, long time later, and it was rebuilt later on a number of times to, to get to where it is today. Uh, but that's still what people think it's marked. And, and millions have gone there just to look and stand and think John the Baptist uh, was born here. His father is Zacharias. There on the, on the wall of the prophecies we have that speak to him. Uh, and, and these prophecies in multiple languages tell us what Jesus came to do. So we're here, I know, uh, it's Advent season. Uh, and we're going to make available to you, if you'd like to pick these up, uh, Advent guides. There are lots of the back. Take them with you. And you'll be able to, if you choose to, and hope you will, go through a daily devotional uh, with Christmas story. Also, if you'd like to light an Advent candle, you can do that in your own home. There's an Advent candle lighting here for you to do it at your home. If you want to do that, get, get, get four candles and get ready for Christmas and do that. That's certainly optional. You can do that. Uh, you can as well. Uh, pick up an angel if you've not already done that and serve our community in that way. We have angels available. Many of them are already gone, I understand, but there's still some out there. We have angels for homeless people. Uh, we, have, we have angels for silver angels for older people. 
uh, shut-ins typically, and uh, we have angels for community children who are, don't, aren't able to really have Christmas for themselves, their families can't afford Christmas for them, have those kind of angels, you know. We have angels for veterans, uh, for those in the military, not veterans, for those active in the military, to give gifts to them, so you can do that, that's part of Christmas. You can, as I'm going to do today, I'm going to go home after lunch, I mean, I mean after church, and we're having our fourth Thanksgiving. Um, <laughs> Uh, I put a turkey in the oven as I was leaving because I cooked the turkey. So it's in the oven. It better turn out okay by 1230. The turkey's in the oven uh, because we had, we're having Thanksgiving with some of our kids, had Thanksgiving yesterday with some, some more, had some Thanksgiving on Thursday and, and Lumberton. And we had Thanksgiving with a Sunday school class. So we've had lots of turkey. That's just fine. I like turkey. So you can, you can do that. That's all part of your journey. Uh, and we certainly can pray, God, you know, my life is like this. I, I, my job is awful. I can't, I can't take it anymore. Maybe that's where you are. You know, maybe your prayer is, you know, I'm just so tired of hearing about the issues in my world that, that worry me all the time. You know, and you can name those as well as I can. There's the, there's the issue of the week, by the way, if you don't know that. You say, what happened to this issue a month ago? It's now gone. There's a new issue in its place when the old issue is still there. It's the issue of the week. So that's always there. It always has been. I've been around long to tell you it's always been there. It will never go away in this world. There will always be issues. There will always be problems, concerns. There will always be heartache out there. That's always going to be true. But God sent his son, Jesus Christ. John points the way on the nativity. And he says, this is what this baby is going to do in this words of Zacharias, the prophet. He's going to save you from your sin. He's going to deliver you if you will let him. He's going to teach you the ways of God if you will accept those new ways. He will redeem you if you'll let him redeem you and make you whole. He'll restore you to a holy relationship with God as a merciful God and a simple person that he loves. That's really the story of Christmas and why we're really drawn to him. Because somehow in that, that simplicity of that, that birth of a carpenter, son of God's son, of, of a teenage girl's son, with shepherds and wise men around it, somehow in that we say, is there anything there that could help me with what I really need? Because you know what that is. We take time, we know what it is. We know it's our own brokenness. It's that within us that separates us from ourselves, other people, and God. And God has come to wash that separation away at Christmas in the birth, death, and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. He's come to do that for us. He's come to redeem us and restore us to himself. He's come to give us a new way of life if we will accept and receive that. These are all promises God gives us today. We celebrate them in this message and the beginning of our Advent season. Will you bow with me in prayer, please? Heavenly Father, we thank you today for... Uh, this first Sunday, this first weekend of the Advent season. And God, we're getting ready. Some of already have everything done. The tree is up. The, the lights are in the yard. We're all ready to go. Some have already laid Thanksgiving behind us. And, and now we've only got some turkey in the refrigerator. Maybe have a sandwich today. We're in all kinds of places today, God. But wherever we are, Lord, we are in one place that we have in common. And God, that's how much we need you. So we need you right now. Yes, you're, you're merciful, so willing to forgive us of our sins, presence. Give us that. The sense of life over death that helps us overcome the fear of that for ourselves or maybe those we have lost, the grief that we might bear right now. Grant us that, God. We simply line up our hearts and minds to what you sent Jesus to do. Not what we want him to do, what you sent him to do. 
and in that we give you ourselves and our prayers in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.